Hey everyone, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a ton of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Today, we are continuing our series, Thrive, with three great speakers. You are going to hear from Jen Lewis, Myron Jellison, and Chris Dew as they all bring what God has shared with them on how to thrive. Let's take a listen. So I don't know about you, but I would have to say that this quarantine life is no joke. It's funny when the, um, when the shutdown first happened and I was looking through Facebook and Instagram, I saw a meme that said, and some of you I'm sure saw it, that said, your grandparents were called to fight a war. You are called to stay home and sit on your couch. You can do this. And I remember thinking, okay, that's good perspective. You're right. This is not war. This is not difficult. We can do this. But as time has gone on, I will admit there are things about quarantine life that are difficult. I, I, we have had so many moments where tensions have run high or patience has run thin. And every single one of us in my house, there are six of us staying there, have had moments where I know we look back and regret. And I'm sure that for many of you, for all of us, there are moments in this, these last several weeks or two months or so that we can look back and think, oh, I wish I didn't say that. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I hadn't watched that. I wish I hadn't spent my time doing that, whatever it is. And it's amazing to me that even when we're held up at home, that our human nature and the sin that comes with it still rears its ugly head. And it's not just pandemic time. It's not just when we're held up in our homes, but our lives in general have these moments where we do things that we know we shouldn't do, or maybe not in the moment we know we shouldn't do them, but we look back on them with regret. And it's difficult when you think of this whole idea of thriving to thrive if we're stuck in regret. And what is wonderful and beautiful about the Christian faith and about Jesus in particular is that he invites us out of regret and out of shame. I mean, you know, think about it. He is perfect. If he could, if anybody could look at anybody else and and see all their flaws and point them out, it's Jesus. But that's not what he does. You know, there's that scripture verse that's always on, um, you know, when you go to football stadiums, it's always on the sidelines and it's, it's John 3:16, And it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What I love about that scripture is the next verse, actually. I love that first part, of course. But the second part, I think they always should add it because it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came to free us from what condemns us, to free us from the shame that comes with regret. You know, there's a story in the book of Luke about a tax collector named Zacchaeus. Some of you may remember Zacchaeus because you remember your Sunday school songs where it sang that Zacchaeus was this wee little man and a wee little man was he. Poor Zacchaeus, you know, remembered forever as being a wee little man. But apparently he was a short tax collector. And tax collectors at this time were hated because basically what they did is they worked for the occupying enemy. They worked for the Romans and spied on their fellow Jews and and used their knowledge of the interworkings of commerce to figure out how to get as much money as they could to to the Romans. And oftentimes the tax collectors would skim off the top and keep a ton of money for themselves. So Zacchaeus was hated in his community. He he would be someone who had lots to regret. 
And what's interesting is that when Jesus comes into town, of course, at this point, Jesus is so popular that there's crowds everywhere. But Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, even as a tax collector, even as someone who's hated and and seen as, as sinful. He wants to see Jesus. And what we read in the text is that because he was short, and maybe also because people wouldn't have given him, you know, a pass to come into the crowd, Zacchaeus climbs a tree to see Jesus. And I'm going to read to you in Luke 19, chapter 19, about what happens with Zacchaeus. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. I love this scripture. I love the idea that Jesus Obviously, being God in the flesh knew who Zacchaeus was. He knew what he did for a living. And instead of pointing out his shame and and pointing out um, all of his faults, he pays him a huge compliment. You see, at this time in history, hospitality was a huge priority. And, And Jesus was actually giving Zacchaeus a major compliment by saying he wanted to come and visit him. What's so cool about the story is that Zacchaeus' sin didn't stop Jesus from pursuing him. And and our sin doesn't stop Jesus from pursuing us. So what I want to do in these next few minutes is just look at what Zacchaeus did in response to Jesus' pursuit so that we can thrive in our relationship with God in those moments when we have something that we regret. The first thing that we see that Zacchaeus did is that he went to God. Zacchaeus didn't avoid Jesus. He went looking for him. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I regret something, the last thing I want to do is talk to God about it. I want to hide. I want to pretend it didn't happen. But what we see in Zacchaeus is even though he had things to hide, even though he had things that he probably felt ashamed about, he still resisted the urge to hide and he went and sought God. And the Bible says that when we seek him, we will find him. And that's exactly what happened with Zacchaeus. The second thing that we see Zacchaeus do is that he recognized his sin. He had cheated people, no doubt. He had taken advantage of his power and he had done things that were were wrong. What's interesting though is that Jesus didn't bring it up. Zacchaeus brought it up. I mean, it's almost like the, um, like, like the, the presence of God revealed to Zacchaeus areas that he needed to work on. Oftentimes, we avoid the truth about our sin. We don't recognize our sin for what it is. We just say, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Or if we hurt someone, we make an excuse as to why we did it, or we tell ourselves they're just gonna get over, it's not a big deal. But freedom comes from recognizing sin for what it is, and really agreeing with God that what it was was wrong. You know, sometimes we'll sin and nobody knows. You know, it's a sin that that is either one that will just seemingly impact us or impact us and God. But what we don't often realize is that when we do those things, we put up a wall between us and God. 
But when we go to God and we recognize sin for what it is, what we are doing is we are repenting. We are agreeing with God and we are showing him that we are sorry. And when we do that, we tear down the wall that we have put up between us and God. The third thing that we see Zacchaeus do is we see that he made things right. Zacchaeus made amends right away. You know, he, he was going to pay people back and, and make things better. And for us, that might mean we need to apologize to someone. We need to, to tell them that we're sorry for what we've done. This, for me, honestly, can be the hardest step. And I don't know if it's my pride or if it's the awkwardness of having to say I'm sorry, but what I have found is this can be the most powerful thing to do. That even though it's hard, it is so freeing. Because you know that wall that, that I said we have with God when we sin, we often have that same wall with the person we sin against. And when we ask for forgiveness, we help to tear down that wall. Now, sometimes amends can't be made. You know, either it's, it's someone we can't communicate with or, or maybe they won't choose to forgive us. But when we are able to, we need to make amends as we can. The fourth thing that we see Zacchaeus do is we see that he walked in the forgiveness God offered. Zacchaeus's life changed immediately that day. You know, when we see Jesus say salvation has come to this house, what we realize is that Zacchaeus got it. He came to faith in Jesus that day and he decided to follow him. And what's so exciting about that is that Zacchaeus got to go to a party with Jesus. I mean, can you imagine? Zacchaeus was the most hated in the town, and he got to be the one who's hosting the best party with the best guest. Zacchaeus got to thrive in his new life. You know, he could have sat at home and not even gone to see Jesus. He could have sat there just replaying the past and, and defining himself by what he did, or he could have stayed in the tree and, and politely declined Jesus's invitation. But if he had, he would have missed so much he would have missed all the fun that he had with Jesus. You know, we can't thrive looking back. Years ago, I had a dream, and God has reminded of me of this dream several times since then. But the dream included this picture of this woman inside what appears to be like a, like a dog crate, like a small cage, big enough that, that a human being could get into, but you wouldn't be, want to be in there for very long. And in the picture, she was crouched over and just sitting in there. But the door of the crate was unlocked and it was open. And what was interesting about it is that she chose to stay in the crate. And I think so many times this is what happens to us. We convince ourselves that we need to stay in that place of regret and shame. But Jesus came to offer us freedom, freedom from the power of sin, freedom from guilt, and freedom from this cage of shame and condemnation. But we have to decide to take him up on his offer and walk out of the cage and choose the freedom he gives to us. Today is the day that you get to decide. Are you gonna step out of the cage of, of regret and condemnation? And are you going to step into the invitation that Jesus has for you, the invitation to thrive. Well, hey, Myron here, and my topic that we're gonna dive in and talk about is honor. And this topic holds a, a pretty esteem uh, purpose in God's plan and design for humanity, especially with regards to how the younger generation 
uh, shows honor towards the older generation. It says this in Leviticus 19.32. It says, You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. There's something significant that God is wanting to communicate to His people about uh, honoring the face of an old man in the presence of an old man showing respect and honor to that person. And the Bible's got to be pretty clear to make that claim so that we don't drift and lose sight of it. Because let's face it, we tend to drift into honoring and respecting and including the younger generation. In America, we are a very youth-obsessed culture. And what I mean by that is older people are not as likely to have Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, and all these mass communication tools. And money drives the motive behind the marketing and advertisement to these digital platforms. So therefore, culture and media uh, drive this idea of uh, programming or communicating and advertising and marketing to the youth that we become so obsessed with the youthfulness and the youth mentality and young people in our culture that we might have lost sight of the value, the importance, and the purpose that old people, the elderly, the gray-headed can play in sharing their perspective and their thoughts and leveraging their influence in our culture. We lose the value of honoring old. The young bucks come in thinking they got it all figured out, their ideas are the best, and they say, okay, boomer, see ya, get out of the way, I'm coming through. And that is a recipe for destruction and to rob you of your ability to thrive if that is our culture and that is your mentality. Um, I want to show King Rehoboam in 1 Kings chapter 12, starting in verse 6. Here's an example of where King Rehoboam, who was the son of Solomon, who Solomon was the son of David. And David and Solomon were kings of the nation of Israel, and the kingdom was going pretty good under their reign. Now, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, some really bad things are about to happen, some division, some rebellion, and the wheels just come off because of some poor decisions that Rehoboam made uh, in his leadership. Now, here we go. First uh, Kings twelve six says, The king Rehoboam took counsel with the old men, and he stood before Solomon his father, while he was yet alive, saying, How do you advise me to answer this people? And they said to him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. But he abandoned the counsel of the old men that the old men gave him and took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, to the young bucks, What do you advise me? What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? And the young men who had grown up with him said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Rehoboam said, no, no, old elders, what you're saying, which was solid advice, by the way, like the best advice that any person could probably give Rehoboam, which is Jesus's advice. Jesus came in the, in the New Testament, it's recorded, and Jesus said, I came to serve, not be served. So the heart of a servant is what Jesus came to demonstrate and model and implement into our lives. And the, these elders are giving the same advice to Rehoboam, the leader saying, if you just serve them, they will serve you in return great advice. He neglects it, goes away from it, gets his peers, his young bucks, his friends that he grew up with and said, hey, how should we do this? And they're like, yo, listen, your dad's uh, weight and burden and, and discipline was like your little finger. But guess what? Yours is going to be heavier. 
put it on them. Let them know who's boss. And he did that. Rehoboam did that. And guess what? If you read, keep reading, there's rebellion, there's division in the kingdom. It splits, there's war, there's death, there's destruction. And a lot of bad things happened because of one man's inability to respect and honor and value the input of the older generation and just went with the peers and what the young bucks were saying. And it can be detrimental. It can rob you of of thriving. Now, we need young people. Let me make this disclaimer. We need young people. If you, if you look at business, uh, institutions or thriving, successful organizations, even the church, okay? We have to have young people involved. We have to appeal to young people. We got to get them and retain them and include them. Yes, absolutely. Because studies have shown that thriving businesses do this. Successful businesses do this. And maybe it's because there's, there's vitality and energy and new perspective and some idealism and some optimism that the older generations don't have for whatever reason. It happens. So, and Jesus even knew this himself. Maybe Jesus created this because think about it. His movement, he decided to start his movement with a bunch of teenagers. If you read the Gospels, you'll see an account to where Jesus and Peter were having a conversation and Jesus and Peter were like, hey, we got to pay our taxes because every person who's above the age of 19 had to pay a tax. And they didn't have money. They didn't know what they were going to do. So Jesus is like, hey, Peter, just go fishing, catch a fish. There'll be some money in the fish. Peter's like, okay. Peter goes out, catches, finds a fish. And in that mouth of that fish was enough money for Jesus and Peter to pay their tax. But what about the rest of the disciples, the other 11 people? They weren't required to pay taxes because they would have been under the age of 19. So Jesus knew the value of including young people, and he chose to use young people to transform the world with his message. And it's powerful when you include and appeal and involve the young people. Now, it can't just be one or the other. It can't just be the old generation. It can't just be the young generation. There has to be a bridge. There has to be a meshing and a working together for you to thrive, for society and culture to thrive, for your business to thrive, for the church to thrive. The church should be the epitome of the example of what it means to be diverse, racially, ethnicity, a socioeconomic class, age, demographic. It doesn't matter. We should be all inclusive because Jesus Christ unites us and we need the old speaking into the young to to help bridge the gap so that we can thrive. And we should be the most amazing example of that. In order to thrive, we got to build a bridge. And a bridge cannot be built from the middle or from one side. It's got to be built from both sides together. So who's going to go first? The old honoring the young? Yes. The young honoring the old? Yes. Honor one another so that we can close that gap and thrive with generations working together. And the problem is, is our culture and society doesn't do this. We don't promote this. We actually promote the worship of youthfulness. That's why we have a multi-billion dollar industry of self-care products, facial creams, uh, hair uh, implants and surgeries and Botox and all this stuff. Because if we think that we, if we're not young, we don't look young, if we're not hip, then we're going to be disregarded and disposed of in society. And we're just going to move on to somebody else younger. And that's what our society does. And there's a, there's a caution that comes and God's saying we have to respect and honor and value and include the old and the young together in order to thrive. Because the longer you live, there's some power that just comes with a, with a longer life. The more gray hair you have, it just seems like there's more weight and significance that you possess. And we have to honor up for sure. And we have to honor down because guess what? The older generation, you need to be honorable. And the younger generation needs to be respectful and honor up. And the older generation has to honor down. We got to bridge the gap and meet in the middle. But speaking to honoring up, I'm in a generation to where I, I've been prideful. I've been self-entitled. I think I got the right answers. I think I got the best ideas. And I've, I've been a little bit difficult to 
to, to lead up into an organization or lead up into my elders or the older people in my life. So I want to give three reasons why the Bible, I think, is very clear that we are to lead up or we are to honor up to the older people. Number one, age correlates with wisdom and God is wisdom. You see, you can't learn some things in a classroom. You just can't. Like, and, and living life gives you the ability to learn things that you just wouldn't learn anywhere else. You get some street cred by the more years and the more experiences that you have that the older generation has so much to offer with the failures and the mistakes and the good things and how this world works because they've been living it longer. If we would just lean in as the younger generation, there's so much value and so much wisdom that they can offer. And God is wisdom. And so if you want to see a snippet or a tidbit of God's wisdom, seek out a mentor, seek out somebody of gray hair and just listen and be involved in conversation of what you can learn and pull from them. The second thing is maybe authority is granted with age and God is authority. Authority is granted with age and God is authority. You see, when somebody of older stature or or older age speaks, there's typically like a weight of like people listening and paying attention because there's just something rich coming from somebody who's just lived life a little bit longer. And it's not because they have a title or a certain image or like a certain status, but just the fact of living life longer gives you the ability to what you say matters. You have a little bit of an authority. And when we respect that authority, when we lean in and listen to that authority, we are honoring God's authority. Because just maybe God is using the older generation as a method to implement and teach and coach the younger generation of what it means to live a life of thriving if we would just buy in. And it all starts at, in the house with the parents and the kids. And it says this in Ephesians 6. Um, you know, it, it's referencing one of the, the Ten Commandments, and it says this, For children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Honor your father and your mother. And this is a promise, or this is a commandment that has a promise. And the promise is, is if you want to thrive, if you want a life that is long and joyful and, and, and the best it could possibly be, it starts with honoring your father and your mother when you are a child. And it's crazy in our culture. We, we, we don't really get this and we don't really do this because 30-year-olds think they need to be friends with six-year-olds. But guess what? You don't need to be a friend to your six-year-old. You need to be an authoritative figure with wisdom and counsel and instruction to that six-year-old. That six-year-old is going to have a hundred, thousand, tens of thousands of opportunities with people their own age to have friends. They don't need you to be their friend. They need you to be their parent because there's only one person who can take the place of mom and dad. And the role that you have is raising your kids to respect and honor you and also respect and honor authoritative figures in this life. Another way this plays out is micromanaging, especially my generation and the younger generations getting in the workforce or the, you know, the professional life is, well, you're micromanaging me. Well, just because your boss is telling you what to do doesn't mean he's micromanaging you. He's just managing you. And that is good management because he's been or she's been in the organization longer. She's got more experience. He's got more experience and more knowledge and they know what's best. You might think you know what's best. You might have great ideas, express them, have conversation about them. But when a decision is made, you execute it and you do it. And it's not called micromanaging. It's just called good 
management. And there's buzzwords floating around with my generation, the younger generation that were self-entitled and you can't tell me anything that I don't already know and that I, my ideas are better. Or you're not listening to me. So therefore you don't value my opinion. You don't, you don't like think I'm good enough. And there's just all this, this buzz uh, traffic that's happening around that idea of micromanaging that young people are doing freelance work. They're doing their own thing, going off by themselves because they can't be managed. They can't be under authority. And that's a problem. We have to submit and be humble and realize that we don't have the best ideas and lean into the authoritative figures and honor the people who are above us and who are older than us. And the final thing I'll say is age indicates scars and Jesus knows all about scars. Age indicates scars and Jesus knows all about scars. You see, when you live life long enough, you begin to have experiences that are painful and hard. And some of those are self-inflicted or self-welcomed where you've had to make sacrifices. The longer you live, the more sacrifices you have to make and sacrifices sometimes come with scars. And Jesus Christ knows everything about a sacrifice with scars on his hands as he stretched them out and on his feet as he was nailed to that cross as a sacrifice for you. So just maybe when you're talking to an old, older person, a gray-headed person, and you're respecting and honoring them, you're respecting and honoring the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross for you. So man, where do we start? I would say here, dispel all the assumptions you have about the generations. Dispel them. They may or may not be true and just have conversation and listen and begin to share and begin to build a relationship and begin to build a bridge to, to shorten the gap so that we can live a life that thrives and a community that thrives and a church that thrives and you can be everything you were made to be. Another thing you can do right now is honor somebody in your life that's above you or authoritative figure or an elder or somebody who's older than you that's had influence in your life. Post on social media, tag them and just thank them and show some honor and respect for them and how they've uh, helped you. And I would say this, if seek out a mentor. If you're young, seek out somebody who can teach you the things that you can't learn anywhere else. And also, if you're older, seek out a mentee, somebody that you can pour your life into and give them what you know and what you've learned and helpful things to build a foundation for their future. And let's build a bridge between the two generations. And let's honor one another. And if you're in my generation, if you're younger, man, God is putting a heavy call on us to be humble and surrender and really honor and respect those who have been before us. Let's get this thing right so we can thrive. What is up, Vineyard Church? It's Chris here, all the way in South Carolina. Man, I wish I was with you guys this morning, uh, but I'm happy that I get to be a part of the service at least. I miss y'all. I love you so much. Uh, but my topic this morning is trust. It's trust, because trusting leads to thriving. Um, I think our world right now is way more anxious about practical things uh, than we've ever been in the history of the world uh, uh, that I know about, at least in my lifetime. Uh, that we're anxious about um, finances and jobs and even eating and drinking and clothes. Oh, and I love how Jesus speaks right into this. In uh, the book of Matthew, he says this in uh, the Sermon on the Mountain, chapter 6. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For all the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father, He knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, 
Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for it will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. These are the words of Jesus, and He's speaking right into our situation. And I love those questions uh, that He's asking ultimately, like, what shall we drink, or what shall we eat, or what shall we put on? And I think all of us are asking those questions too. Um, I know every morning the one thing that's on my mind is, what am I going to eat today? Because all of us love our quarantine snacks. I don't know what yours is, if it's pretzel M&Ms or popcorn or, or um, I don't even know what else it could be. But this is mine right here. Perfect bars. Uh, it's a protein bar that you keep in the fridge. Um, and it is, it's literally my favorite uh, quarantine snack. If you haven't tried it, you should try it, right? But we all have our quarantine snacks. He's like, what should we put on? I mean, I know that I've asked myself that question and almost every day it's sweatpants, right? Because that's that's what we're wearing all the time because we don't have to leave. I'm not putting on jeans. Um, I'm putting on sweatpants. Also, my hair is, is really long right now. That's why I'm wearing a hat because I haven't gotten a haircut. Uh, but ultimately, on a heavier level, he's also asking these questions uh, that people are ultimately asking um, here in this current time of, man, am I going to have enough cash uh, to live on and to eat? Am I going to have enough money uh, to send my kids to college? How about my company or my business or my job? Am I even going to have a job? I think all of us are asking these questions and Jesus is speaking right into that situation. And he's ultimately saying that you don't have to be anxious about these practical things because you have a heavenly father who knows all your needs, right? He knows what you're going through. He knows what you need. And he is promising that he will take care of everything because he's a loving father. All we need to do is trust, right? We don't have to be anxious about all these practical things, but rather trust our heavenly father because he knows all your needs and you are valuable to him. And ultimately what Jesus is speaking right here is that God is both great and he's good, right? He is great, meaning he's all powerful. He's in control of the whole universe. He upholds the universe by the word of his power, right? He is ultimately in charge of everything. And he's also really good. He's a loving father. He's caring. He is uh, always with us, faithful in every way, right? And that's crucial, Uh, Because if he's only great and he's all powerful, except he's not good, and ultimately he doesn't care about us, right? He's all powerful, but he's not going to help us. Or if he's only good, except he's not great, ultimately what's going to happen is that he's happy and he's loving and caring and and, and all those things, except ultimately he's powerless uh, to help us. But here's the reality of the God of the universe is that he's not just one or the other. He is both and. He is great. He is all powerful. And he's a loving father. He is good. And that's really good news because since he's great and he's good, you and I can trust him. And then after that, Jesus offers us an alternative to this anxious living. Right? He's not just, okay, trust him and that's all. But rather, he gives us an action step. And this is what Jesus says. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Ultimately, what that means is to chase after and trust in the king and try to advance his rule and his reign, his kingdom on planet earth, right? So my encouragement to you, man, if you're anxious, seek him first. And if you're worried about the future and about money and about resources, 
seek him first. I mean, if you're tired and you're like, man, I'm so bored in quarantine, seek him first. I mean, if you're worried about your company or your job, or man, seek him first. Because I'm telling you, he is a loving father. He is great. He is good. You are valuable to him and he will care for your needs. And then he gives us a promise at the end of this text, which is beautiful. He says this, if you do these things, all of these things will be added to you, right? All the things that all the people in this world are chasing after and seeking after and worried about. He promises that if you seek his kingdom first, his righteousness, then all those things are going to be added to you. So here's our choice today. It's either that we try to do it on our own, that we're like, God, I don't trust you. I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to be worried about these things. And we're going to be anxious then and probably we'll have some needs and be lacking. Uh, But ultimately the alternative is that if we trust God, we will operate in his peace and we will never be in need. He will provide for every one of our needs because trusting leads to thriving. And I'm going to close with this, uh, this story. You've heard this story a lot, I'm sure, hundreds of times. But it's uh, the prodigal son story in Luke 15. I mean, what's happening in this story is that the younger son ultimately leaves home. He says, Dad, I'm done with you. Man, I want my inheritance early. I think I can make it on my own. I can provide for myself. He heads out. He lives in the world. He squanders his property in reckless living. And a while later, he runs out of money. He has to get a job, a J-O-B. But then there's a famine in the land. And ultimately what happens in the famine in the land is that he's, he's in need. Right? He doesn't have enough food. He doesn't have enough water. His clothes smell like a pigsty. Right? He, he's, he's just in need. And he starts to remember how home was. There was always food on the table. There was always love in the house. There was always joy there. And I didn't have any lack. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm through with this life. I'm going to try to go home. And he starts to go home and he thinks, man, I'm going I'm to have to explain to my dad what I did with the money. He's going to be so mad. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he comes home and the response of the father is not anger, but it's love. He meets him with a hug and a kiss and a party. He puts a robe on his back, a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. He kills the fattened calf and serves him a filet mignon. And that's the reality of us as children of God. Hey, Vineyard Church, if you're listening to this and you're a child of God, you can know that you have a robe on your back the righteousness of Christ. He's going to take care of all of your needs and he's going to provide for you incredible food, right? He gives him the fattened calf. A filet mignon is on the table, right? You are a part of that kingdom. You are home and your dad will always take care of you, man. But if you're here and you're listening right now and you're not a Christian, right? And you're trying to make it on your own out there, or if you've turned away from God and you've left the house and you're a prodigal, right? That you were home at one time, but ultimately you've turned away. I just want you to know that your heavenly father is waiting with open arms. You can trust him. He has all that you need, all that you're chasing after out there, the joy and the pleasures of the world. He's got way greater joy and pleasure in his house, and he will always provide for your needs. Trusting leads to thriving. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we're grateful that you are a great God and you're a good God, that you're all powerful and you are a loving Father. 
I'm so grateful for that. God, I pray that you would turn our hearts towards trusting in you, that we will know that uh, that we don't have to chase after these things anxiously on our own because you will provide a way for us to have all that we need if we seek your kingdom first. God, I love you, and I pray that we enter into trust in order that we can thrive. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.